Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Amen. Okay. Um, so the first talk, and we just have the first slide. This is week one of four weeks, as, uh, as Sim said. It's basically four weeks in November, and then that, uh, and then that workshop on the, on the first week in, weekend in December. And the first week, today's week, is really just an introduction to the series. It's really just setting the scene for what's going to follow. And what I'm going to talk about today is the supernatural, the reality of the supernatural. I believe in the supernatural, and I hope by the end of this you will as well, if you don't already. Um, can we just come to the uh, next slide? So today, I'm basically going to give a bit of an introduction to the whole series. As Sima said a bit, I'll say a little bit more about that, what we're going to cover through the series. And I'm going to talk about God. It may come a surprise to you, but if you believe in God, you believe in the supernatural. I mean, that is, that is a fact. God is a supernatural God. I'm going to talk about angels. I'm going to talk about Satan. And I'm going to talk about demons. So we're covering some pretty heavy topics today. And I'm going to talk about what this means for us, how that might impact us. That's a lot of topics, right? <laughs> in half an hour or whatever I've got. Um, so it's going to be a bit of a whistle-stop tour. So don't worry about getting it all, just get the gist of it, and I will, I'll have the notes, I've got scriptures, lots of references you can read out yourselves, I'll read some out, but I won't read them all, and you can, you can have the notes for your reference in future. So, next slide, please. So, dictionary definition, we always start with the dictionary definition of the supernatural. Um, if you use an ad- as an adjective, look, uh, it is a, you know, something happened supernaturally, or it, it is a supernatural act. It's of relating to or being above or beyond what is natural, unexplainable by natural law or phenomena, abnormal, um, or pertaining to, characteristic of, or attributed to a god or a deity. That's just some of the definitions. If you use it as a noun, it is supernatural, um, a, an object occurrences considered as supernatural or of supernatural origin or direct influence or action of a deity on earthly affairs. That's what we're talking about today. Next slide. Yeah, so I've already said that. If we believe in God, we believe in the supernatural. It is not an optional extra. Um, But it's more to it than that. It's not just knowing God. It's not just enough to know that God is supernatural. Uh, We need to know and be aware that there's a whole supernatural world and both a good side to that and a bad side to that, an evil side. And they both influence us, and they present us opportunities, and they present dangers. I've actually realized this from the first, well, actually just before I became a Christian, and certainly the day I became a Christian, June the 12th, 1983, that's when the day I became a Christian, the day I know I became a Christian, um, in a meeting where a gospel message, I'd never been to a meeting, Judith was there, she wasn't my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, but the guy was preaching a sermon, and he was preaching God's truth to me, but I'd never heard God's truth put in the way that he told him. And as he was preaching, I can remember in my head, every time he said something, something in my head would say, that's his normal standard conversion chat, he says that every week, you know, and I actually had to fight and listen to what this guy said. And as questions came into my mind, and it was the devil I didn't know at the time, was putting in negative, you know, don't listen to him, he always says this, you know, it's just a, he's trying to influence you, uh, you know, it's sort of hypnotism or whatever, making me feel that way. The guy would answer it from the front straight away. The question that came into my mind, the next thing he said, and it happened again and again, and to the end of it, I thought, 
he must be reading my mind because he knew what I was saying. He didn't, of course, but God was telling him what to say and God had already arranged. So I, at that point, became not only aware of God, I had a choice to make. God and the devil, as I now know now, was, or, uh, were both battling in my mind and I had made a decision which one I went for. Well, you'll be pleased to know that God won that battle. Uh, <laughs> but I became very aware of both sides of the supernatural at the same time. The world is schizophrenic about the supernatural, okay? It either says, we don't believe in God, it's all science explains everything, there's no supernatural, it's only a natural world. Um, and they, we don't believe in God because there's lots of suffering, can't be God if there's lots of suffering, and all sorts of reasons and excuses people come up for not being in God, because evolution explains it all. Um, I'll talk to you about that some other time if you're interested to know why evolution does not explain it all, particularly the original cause. Um, how we first, how, you know, if, even if you believe in the Big Bang. But we go from that side, or we go overly interested in it. As uh, Sim said, Halloween, zombies, Superman, all the films, all the X-Men and Spider-Men and X-Files and heroes, we love the supernatural. We love to hear about people with supernatural powers. And the church is also very confused, as Sim shared with this story. There's so many scriptures about not being involved in the occult. You wonder which Bible they're reading if they have Halloween parties. But the one that always strikes me when, they, when you see this isn't just to having Halloween parties, but when Christians get involved in any of this stuff, or even watch zombie movies, I must say. Be careful um, what I say here. Philippians 4.8 says this. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That's not watching a zombie movie, is it? So, <laughs> Okay, but it's more than that. There's more to it than, than knowing there's a supernatural world. It's knowing the reality and the power of this supernatural world reaching into our own lives. Okay, I have the next slide. So here's... Reasonably well-known scripture, and I'm only reading half of it here. I'll read the rest later. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That is what we're talking about, the power that can raise Jesus from the dead or a man from the dead. And if we can understand that and get hold of the truth of the supernatural realm that's available to us, life will never be the same again. It will transform our own lives it will transform the lives of our church, and it will transform our witness to the world. Um, about five or six years ago, before Sim joined us, Phil Lechemenon gave an um, interesting talk standing here. And I don't know how many of you have seen this film, The Matrix. Anyone seen The Matrix? Okay. So for those who haven't, it's an amazing film, not made by Christians. Actually, yeah, they did have some sort of religious affiliation, but it's the whole idea of this guy wakes up one day and finds that the reality he thinks he is is not real. He's living in a simulation, inside a computer, essentially, in a simulation. And so he looks around and everything looks normal and to us, but in reality is in a simulation. And one day he, wake, um, he gets given the opportunity, he gets given the opportunity to, to just carry on living as he is with everything that's normal, or he gets given the opportunity to take a red pill or a blue pill. If you take the blue pill, you carry on as normal, everything, nothing changes, it's just normal life. If you take the red pill, you get to see the reality of the fact that you're in a simulation. And once you get the hold of the reality that what you're living in isn't real, you will understand that you have power over that. And he has, obviously, he starts to have superpowers in the, in the, in the simulation because he knows that the reality is not where he's living. 
And that was just an amazing talk Phil gave all those years ago. Because it just that is a, a picture of the spiritual life. We're living in this world. This is not the true reality. I mean, it is reality, but there's a greater reality beyond it, which is the supernatural realm. And once we get hold of that and realize that this is a limited period, you know, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever, but the reality outside lasts forever. And we need to get hold of that. We need to take that bread pill and see the reality. And once we learn the truth of that, we will have access to a super, we'll take a, a supernatural perspective on things. And, and we can function in the world in a supernatural way. So, um, yeah, so basically there's four talks, and I'm doing the first one, um, supernatural reality. Next week, uh, Dick is talking about becoming naturally supernatural at home. So, oh, that, that's my title, but he might change it. But it's basically about working in your own lives, what it means practically in your everyday, today life. And the next week, uh, Sim is talking on what it means in our church life, becoming naturally supernatural in the church. And week four, uh, it... Um, Fergus is talking about what it means about being naturally supernatural in the world, how it can transform our witness. So, shall we take the red pill today? Shall we all agree to take that and learn something about supernatural reality? Okay. Next slide, please. Um, as I said, it's a whistle-stop tour. I'm not going to go into detail. Um, I hope you just get an overview of the supernatural realm, of the reality of it, from what I say. There is lots of scripture, and I'm going to read some, but the rest... My notes will be available and you can read them yourself. Um, I will state the truth and I'll read some scriptures. The only way to really know the truth about the supernatural is to read the Bible. That is the only source of authority about the supernatural realm, the only one we can trust. And there's so much stuff in the world going on that will lead you other ways. The Bible is the only way, the only place you can get truth about the supernatural. This could be the topic of many sermons. Today we're doing it in one. Okay, so we'll start with... Some of you will recognize this scripture, okay? It's in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 to 19. And it's the story of Elisha, one of the prophets of Israel. And he was looking after the king of um, Israel, and Israel was under attack from the enemies, the Arameans. And this is what happened. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert when the, when the enemies were coming. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha the prophet is in Israel. He tells the king of our Israel, Even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is at, is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God, so as Elisha's servant, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. You could think what the guy thought. What? Hang on, I could see all those people out there. Then Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. He saw the angelic armies of the Lord that were really 
behind Elisha and on, on Israel's side. As the Aramean advance, army advanced towards him, Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And then Elisha went out and told them, You have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. And the story goes on. So it's not just about knowing that there's a supernatural. It's seeing with our, with our own, or in our mind's eye, and in this case, the guy really saw it with his own eyes, what our natural eye, what our, the supernatural reality, what our natural eyes don't see. It's easy seeing with the eyes of the spirit and with the eyes of faith. And then Elisha went on and moved in it on the strength of that, that he knew those who are with us are greater than those with them. And he went and led them all off down a, 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 the wrong path, basically. So the supernatural world is out there and it's all around us. Not everybody sees angelic forces, so obviously, but some people do. And many of us may have seen them without knowing it. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. So whether we see it or not with our eyes, we need to be aware of that supernatural world because it is there. We need to believe it's there and we need to walk in the knowledge of that truth. Now the Bible does tell us that there are two sides or aspects to the supernatural world and we need to be aware of both. So we're going to start with the first one. Let's start with God. Um, God is supernatural and the, clearly the scripture tells us that we're just going to look at some of his characteristics uh, yeah sorry go back to the previous slide God is spirit John 4.24 says this for God is spirit so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth God is one He's united. He's a single God. But God is also Father and Son and Holy Spirit. That's not three gods. The Bible doesn't mention the word Trinity, I know, but it's very clear that there are three persons in the Godhead. There are many places in Scripture where all three are mentioned together. That is not the topic of today. But God is one, but there are also three persons in per, uh, personalities in God. Look at some more characteristics of God. Uh, no, sorry, keep on that slide. <laughs> not quite there. Because we've got some big words, i just read these because they're impressive. He's omnipotent, that means he's all-powerful. He's omniscient, that means he's all-knowing. That means past, present, and future. He's omnipresent, he's everywhere at once. He is eternal, he has existed and will exist forever. He is immutable, that means he never changes. He is infinite, that means he is without measure. And he is also absolute, justice, love, truth, freedom, and righteousness. That's a lot of big words. Just going to look at some of them, unlock and explain what some of those mean a bit further. Now the next slide, please. <laughs> he is the creator of everything, including all the inhabitants, inhabitants of the supernatural world, the angels, the demons, and all the, the entire natural world as well. Us, the world, the universe, everything in it. And there's Psalm 146.6 says, He made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He is also unique. There is no other spiritual being like him, or even anywhere close to him. It's important to remember that. No one comes close to God. And Psalm 97, 9 says this, For you, O Lord, are supreme over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. All heaven and earth belongs to him. Psalm 24, 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all its people, belong to him. Now, I'm not going to talk also about spiritual places like heaven and hell today. Maybe we'll do that another time. 
But he is ruler and sovereign overall, including those spiritual places. 1 Chronicles 29 says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours. O Lord, this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. That is the God we believe in. That is the God we sing to. That is the God we worship. He existed before anything else. Colossians 1.17 says, He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. That's an amazing thought for those. He doesn't just exist. He didn't just create everything. He holds it all together. If God disappeared, creation would disappear. The atoms would fly apart. There would be nothing left. God literally holds the entire creation and makes all those atoms work and all those molecules and everything works. God holds it together. That is a supernatural being. He is everlasting. Psalm 92 says this, Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Um, next slide, please. Still going on. This is just the characteristic of God. He is without measure. He is, you can't measure him, <laughs> he's too big. He is all-powerful. Psalm 147.5 says this, How great is our Lord, his power is absolute, his understanding is beyond comprehension. He knows everything. Hebrews 4.13, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. You see why we need the scripture to understand God? You can't do it without this. It also says he does what he chooses. He can do anything consistent with his own nature because he set the rules of the universe and he defines good and evil and he will always be consistent with his own nature. He does what he chooses and he is in control of all things. Proverbs 16.4 says this, The Lord has made everything for his own purposes, even the wicked for a day of disaster. Even bad things that happen. I doesn't see Matt. God causes them always, but he is overall in control of the universe, and he does allow them to happen. This is a fallen world, and bad things do happen. Finally, the last scripture about God. He does not think like us. That's something we need to get our head around, because we so have, it's about thinking supernaturally, not just with our natural minds, to realize that God is so much greater. He can see such a bigger picture than us. And it really is difficult to get our mind around how big he is, how we can use even the bad things that happen for good, how you know, terrible things can still, you know, God can work them out for good. Even to the death of his own son on the cross, he can work it out for good. And Psalm 55, 8 says this, um, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. This is God speaking, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. We get a glimpse of God. We only know him a tiny amount. Okay, that's the first part. Now we're going to talk about angels. So I'm talking about this. There's God's side of the supernatural, and there's the enemy side. We'll talk about God's side first. The existence of angels. Everybody talks about angels. There's films about them. There's uh, actually very excellent films. Have you ever seen It's a Wonderful Life? That's a fantastic film. That's definitely one to watch at Christmas. Um, their existence is taught in at least 34 books of the Bible, okay? And they are mentioned 275 times in Scripture. 
Jesus taught about their existence many times. Um, but they are created beings. And Colossians 1.16 says this, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms. So that is the angels and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities. These are actually all names for spiritual powers and different authorities and spiritual powers. Uh, so thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unsealed world. Everything was created through him and for him. They were also created before the world. It, there's a scripture that says they were there when God laid the foundations of the earth. So before the world was created, the angels were created. Um, they were created originally in holiness, to live with God in heaven initially. But some left it later. We'll look at that in a, in a minute. They are spirit beings. They're not natural beings. They don't have flesh and blood. They are spirit beings. Next thing about angels. They do not die. They live forever. They do not reproduce. There are no baby angels, I'm afraid. So those pictures of little cherubs are completely inaccurate. They don't. Uh, we'll look a bit about cherubs in a minute. But uh, cherubs are not what angels look like. Angels do not reproduce. That's very clear. So there is a finite number. Um, they have organization and ranks. Oh, I seem to have got them in a funny order. Anyway, they have organization and ranks. We know about ones called archangels, of which only one is named, Michael. Uh, we, we know of a, a rank called seraphim, who are something to do with the worship of God. Um, we know about a rank called cherubim, not cherubs. And they're something to do with guarding the holiness of God. And the angel who was put in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were kicked out with the flashing sword, that was a cherub or a cherubim. That wasn't a little baby with wings. Um, there maybe are many others, but they're the ones we know about from Scripture actually named. There are huge numbers. Hebrews 12.22 uh, says this. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. Now, the word in, uh, originally is myriads, myriads of angels, but there is a finite number. So, some of used to say, every, you know, every time you know, that there aren't any more angels being created, unlike humans, at the moment there are more humans being created. There is some good evidence, and you'd like this, for guardian angels, particularly for believers, and especially for children. There are scriptures that do tell us, and we'll look a little bit more about that in a minute. They can appear in different forms. They can appear as heavenly beings in the sky like they appeared to the shepherds when Jesus was born. Or they can appear as men, as, a, as the three that met with Abraham. Actually, one of those we believe was Jesus. And there were two angels, but they just looked like, like, look like ordinary men. Uh, next slide, please. They do have different functions in the world. Um, they are God's messengers to mankind. They encourage believers in time of danger. These are all, there's a scriptures to back up all these things. They're God's messengers. They encourage believers in time of danger. They care for the righteous at death. They fight for God's people. And they do inflict punishments on unbelievers. There are scriptures that show all this is true. Next slide, please. Um, they also help believers and help answer prayer. Um, Hebrews 11.14 says, says this, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? 
and we may even entertain angels unaware. Actually, I've got those scriptures up here. Don't forget, it says this in Hebrews, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. And at that point, I'd like to call up Tasha, wherever she is, who's just going to share a little bit of an experience that she had. Can she have a handheld mic? So this is an experience I had um, a number of years ago when I was a student nurse on a medical ward and I was on a late shift. There were only three of us on, two staff nurses and me, a third-year student. And one of the staff nurses had gone down to the canteen for her dinner break, so there were just two of us left. And there was a patient, who I call Mr Bloggs, who'd had a cardiac arrest previously and had been cared for on the ward and was due to go home. Now, before patients who'd had cardiac arrest went home, they had to complete cardiac rehab. And the last bit of it was they had to walk down from the ward to the lifts and back again without any chest pain. That was the key thing. So the other staff nurse was taking Mr Bloggs down to the lift and I was left on the ward, just a student nurse. When she was taking Mr. Bloggs down there, he had another cardiac arrest down at the lifts. She called me back on the ward, help, he's had a cardiac arrest, get the crash stuff. Now, if someone has a cardiac arrest, you need a couple of things. You need the crash team, that's the anaesthetists, all the doctors and nurses who come and resuscitate someone. You need a crash box, which has all the emergency drugs you need to resuscitate someone, like adrenaline, atropine, all that kind of stuff. And you need a crash equipment, all the stuff you need to shock them and do all that kind of stuff. So I had to rush down there, take all the crash stuff down, get back to the ward, trying to look after the ward, 30 other patients. They resuscitated Mr. Bloggs, but on the way of bringing him back, he crashed again. I had to run to another ward, because there's only one crash box per ward, run to another ward, get a crash box, take it there. They resuscitated him again. I got his bed down there. As they're bringing him back to the ward, onto the ward, he crashed again. So I had to run to another ward, get a crash box, and they were resuscitating him on the ward. Now, all of this is very stressful. You can imagine your heart's pounding. It's very frightening. And I was trying to run the ward. Now, at this point, by then, my heart's been pounding. It's all, you know, very panicky. And as I'm trying to run the ward, the Mr. Blog starts to become unwell again and I was starting to panic. At that point, I suddenly saw Mrs. Bloggs walking down the ward. I ran down to Mrs. Bloggs. Hello, Mrs. Bloggs. Your husband's not very well at the moment. Why don't you have a seat? I'll make you a cup of tea. As I'm talking to her, I notice she started to go a bit grey and clammy. Never a good sign. I'm starting to think, all I could think is, if she arrests... I don't know what I'm going to do. We haven't got another crash box. At this point, my mind started a blank, and all I can think is, help, Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord, while she's talking. As I'm holding a hand, taking a pulse, and chatting away to her, praying in my mind, I suddenly saw the duty bleep holder come onto the ward. What a relief, I thought. The duty bleep holder holds the bleep for eight wards and would come on to see if there were any problems. And she obviously knew there was a cardiac arrest, so she'd come onto the ward. And I said, "Um, can I have a word, sister? nipped into the office with her, so her name was Sister White, and I said, I don't know what to do because it's all going to custard. The problem was that the junior doctor who was supposed to be helping in the cardiac arrest, who'd only been started on the ward for one week, he'd only been qualified for a week, was having a bit of a meltdown. He was in the office, and the anaesthetist had been calling, where's the junior doctor? Get him out here. I need to have the patient's details. And I'd gone and tried to get this 
junior doctor Dave at the office and he was going, I can't come out, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, I can't do, I've only been qualified a week. And I was panicking. So I said to Sister White, the junior doctor's having a meltdown in the office, we haven't got another crash box and Mrs Bloggs looks like she's about to arrest and I don't know what to do. She said, don't worry, you run the ward, get Dave, the junior doctor, to get Mrs Bloggs into the side room, he can manage it. I'll see to the anaesthetist, who by this time was going nuts. So we went back out onto the ward. All of that calmed down. Mr Bloggs didn't arrest again. The situation was solved. After the whole situation had finished, um, I thought, oh, what a relief. I think I would actually like to send Sister White a card to say thank you, because she really saved the day. So I rang up um, the switchboard, who has the phone number and locations of every single staff member, in case there's a a plane crash on the M3 and everyone has to be called in. And I said, can you tell me where Sister White normally works? We haven't got a Sister White, they said. I said, you do have a Sister White because she had a name badge, Sister White, and she'd just been on the ward. And they, and they said, she's the bleep holder. And they said, the bleep holder called in sick tonight. There is no bleep holder on. At that point, I started to reflect. I was thinking, how did she know the junior doctor's name, Dave? How did she know we had a side room free? that she could say, get Dave, get Mrs. Bloggs into the side room. The icing on the cake was when I then realised, when I was clearing up everything, we had another crash box. Now, all the crash boxes had been used. They take two hours to get them from pharmacy to get a new crash box equipment set up. And there was a crash box, all sealed, new crash box there. There was no explanation for it. When I told the other staff nurses, they were well freaked out, but they agreed it was the most amazing situation. And had Sister White not turned up, it would have been very difficult. And I can, you know, Ivor and I were talking on the way into church this morning. I said, I can think off just the top of my head, five situations like that in hospital where God has intervened and done things. And I think these things happen all the time. It's just perhaps more evident when you're in a place of life and death. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So the amazing thing about that is that when it talks about entertaining angels unaware, if Tasha hadn't actually tried to send her a card, she never would have known that Sister White didn't exist. And that, uh, it, as a human being anyway, <laughs> and Sister White... Oh, my tablet's just switched off. It's not very helpful. Yeah, that's better. And so that, that's it. How many of us, who do you know, people who've helped you out of nowhere? It's really funny. I rang my mum, who has had not quite as dramatic experience, but she had an accident in the middle of Norfolk while my dad was still alive. They had a really bad accident in the middle of nowhere. It was on a big cu a country road, and um, they hit another car, and they were both injured. But my mum managed to get out of the car, and this nurse, a lady in a nurse's uniform, just came up and put her arm around her and sat with her, just comfort her. She doesn't remember how long it was. She just sat with it until the ambulance came. Now, to this day, she has no idea that nurse disappeared. She has no idea who she was or where she came from and uh, who called the ambulance either. So she believes she saw an angel. Now, we don't know, but, but I think, you know, there is no doubt we do entertain angels unaware many of our times. Okay, so that's to encourage you. We now want to move on to not really a very nice topic, but we really, really do need to be aware that there is another side to this. This is a quote from a famous book by C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and all those other things. And he said this, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Um, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. 
They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Screwtape Letters is a book where it's, it's letters supposedly from a senior junior devil to a senior devil about how he's tempting this particular guy. And if you read it, you just get an amazing insight to the sort of strategies the enemies use. It's not scary stuff. It's just to tempt us to do wrong, to, to, to turn away from God. Um, the world is getting more and more fascinated with the occult. From the Exorcist film many years ago to the current obsession. I keep mentioning zombie movies. I don't know, zombie movies. As far as I'm concerned, this is all the occult. There's also an obsession with aliens and UFOs. And I don't have time to go into it, but I was fascinated with those things by those things before I became a Christian. Fascinated. I'm, my favorite film was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I've seen it three or four times. And, and I used to read all the books. Eric von Daniken, I know he was disproven, but all sorts of stuff. I was fascinated with them. And when I became a Christian... I wanted to get a handle of what was all that stuff because I was convinced that people had seen things. Honest people you know, who don't make mistakes, they, they were not all weather balloons. Some of them were, some of them were funny aircraft, but you know, pilots and people and policemen had seen them. And I read a book, and I've got another one now that's much better that's showing that actually the UFO phenomenon is almost certainly demonic. Um, the ones that people see, and many people who've seen UFOs have been involved in the occult. So... The enemy will do anything. He'd love anything he will that will turn us, that will lead us away from God. The enemy will do. And I've, I know I've said this to someone here before. I believe if tomorrow a UFO landed on the White House lawn and a man got out and said, "I'm going to solve all the world's problems," the world would believe him and flock to him. All right? They would rather believe him than in the God who already came two thousand years ago and the supernatural God we believe in. We are much more prepared to believe in UFOs, and that's an interesting sign and something about their origins. It's also influencing our children more and more. It's not just Halloween, which has come over from America very strongly. It started with films like Ghostbusters, E.T. Now, I love that film. Well, I used to love it. Till I realized that what E.T. looks like is like those gargoyles they used to see on the old-fashioned churches. And gremlins, what they turned into when they touched water or whatever. Those films were getting our children used to the grotesque as to be normal. And even cute and cuddly. That is what those films did. Harry Potter is getting us used. I'm not you know, saying you shouldn't watch Harry Potter, but it is getting used to us used to the, the world used to. Believers, maybe we can see a bigger picture and just treat it as the story it is. But it's getting the world used to the occult. So when the Satan is more visibly manifest, we'll just accept it. Okay, next uh, slide. Tell you a little bit about Satan. We do know quite a bit about him. His existence is taught in seven of the Old Testament books and mentioned by every New Testament writer. Jesus taught him about him in several places. Again, so much here. Um, the main passages, are, I'll give you the note, there's three main passages, one in Ezekiel, one in Isaiah, Luke and Revelation that tell us something about him and something about how he ended up where he is. But let's get this plain. The medieval imagery of that little red thing with horns Completely wrong. That's not biblical. There's nowhere in the Bible does it describe Satan like that. In fact, Satan is described as the most beautiful of all the angels. He is an angel. He is a created being. He's created the highest. He was the highest of all the angels. He was actually one of those uh, ones called cherubim. That's what it is. Satan was a cherubim. He was in Eden at the beginning. He was originally called Lucifer or morning star, son of the morning. Something of a sign of what God did when he created him. But Satan rebelled. He wanted to be greater than God. He committed the sin of pride. He was cast out of heaven. 
Just look at some of the characteristics of Satan. He is a created being, and he is a spirit being. He is an angel. Um, but he is also a murderer, a liar, and the father of lies. He is called the great dragon and the ancient serpent. He's called the deceiver of the world. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And he is called a sinner from the start. Now, he may be a powerful being, but we have to get this right. He is nowhere near, not even close to the power of God. Okay. Now, and talk a little bit about demons. The scriptures also tell us that when Satan fell from heaven, um, one-third of the angels, now we don't know how many angels there are, but there's thousands upon thousands, one-third of them rebelled with him and were cast out of heaven. And they are now the demons, and we believe, I believe that, that follow and serve Satan. And they hate us. All right? Let's get this clear. They hate us. They hate God and they hate us because we believe in God and we follow him. And they are a very real and present danger to us. Next slide, please. This is a well-known scripture. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. This is the Bible telling us we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseal world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. As I said, Satan will do anything to turn us away from God. And he can even appear as an angel of light, the scripture tells us. So sometimes he will do things that even appear good if they turn us away from God. Um, so he, you can have false healings if they're not died by someone that's directing you to God. Um, just talk a little bit about knowing your enemy. We know quite a lot about him, so we can spot him. We need to know him and we need to recognize him. The Bible says this, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We must not, we must be aware of that. He is really out there and, and his armies of uh, demons as well. And this one says, we must not give him a foothold. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Unconfessed sin of any sort in your life gives the devil something to land on. And he will take advantage of and he will put you in bondage because of it. Unforgiveness and anger and pride, jealousy, lust. We must not persist in these because otherwise we will be led by the devil further and further away from God. It gives him a foothold. He loves it when we do it because he can then use it against us. Even speaking unbelief or untruth of any sort. I believe quite a lot about the power of our words. And when we speak, the devil hears them. I'm not sure he can read our thoughts, but I know when we speak, he can hear them. And if we speak something in unbelief, so how we can say something, you know, and by what we say, we just negate our faith. And we just, and I've done that myself and I know. We should speak truth and not, untruth. It's so easy. We do it every day. Criticism and just, oh, it's all gone wrong again. And, you know, and that sort of attitude um, it gives us a foothold for the enemy and he will pounce on it. Um, okay, next one. We must resist our enemy and indeed we can do that. It says here in 1, 2 Corinthians, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Those thoughts, those negative thoughts, take them captive, make them obedient to Christ. Don't let the devil land on those thoughts. Some of those he's put, I believe he can put things in your mind. He can certainly tempt you, whether he can read your thoughts, but he can put things in your mind. And many of those thoughts come from him. They come from ourselves. We know the ones that we should not, we should take captive and refuse it or think on good things, as I said at the beginning. But we must, um, 
Yeah, we must be very careful um, not to assign the enemy too much power because he is nothing like God. Satan is not all-knowing. He does not know the future. He can read the scriptures, though he doesn't like doing it. He does know things in the Bible, probably better than we do. But he has a lot of spies, all those demons, and he has a lot of information. He has a lot more access to information than you do. So these mediums, when they appear to tell people, you know, speak as if they were someone dead person's relative, that's a demon speaking through them. That demon knows that dead person's relative who died, and he can mimic, and the word in the Old Testament is like a ventriloquist. He can make them speak things so it appear that they know something about your dead relative. But that's just a demon speaking through them who has a lot more information uh, than you might think he has. Satan can only be in one place at a time, but he does have lots of helpers. Satan is not all-powerful. And there we are. Um, actually, can we go back to the previous one? Yes, he can be resisted by the believer. It's very important. It says this in James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God. Important first bit. Humble yourselves before God. Be a believer. Then you can do this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He has no choice. He cannot take away our free will. There's an amazing story in Mark where this man had a legion of demons in him. All right? That's 5,000 demons. A Roman legion was 5,000 demons. And though 5,000 demons could not prevent that man going to Jesus and running to him and falling at his feet. So they cannot take a free will. Even an unbeliever, they cannot take away the free will, but they can influence you so much that you think you haven't got free will. Okay, um, next, next slide. We don't need to fear them. And this is really important because believers can and will defeat him. In Revelation 10, it says this, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That's why this communion, what we took, is so important. The blood of Jesus gave us victory, and his resurrection uh, gave us victory over Satan. And we now have full authority over him. Again, in my notes, you'll see there's scriptures that can show that we were created a little lower than the angels, but when Jesus rose from the dead, he was raised as a man, high above all the angels. He's now seated in heavenly praises, Christ, as a man. And then when we believe in him, we are seated with him. That takes us way above the angels, the entire angelic reign. So believers are high above the angelic reign and have authority over it in terms of authority. Unbelievers don't. They're still below him. So unbelievers still are under the control or authority of Satan. Though, as I said, he can't take away their God-given freed will. So this authority is why we can tell the enemy to get lost and he has no choice but to obey us. Sometimes it's quite important to actually say it out loud so he hears it. Just thinking it isn't enough, I think. And do you know the scripture, as he says at the end times, we will actually judge the angels? That's an amazing, amazing fact. Okay, last slide. Um, next slide, sorry, not last slide. Put on your armor. Again, I haven't got time to read the whole scriptures. Hopefully most of you know that passage in Ephesians about the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, uh, which we take up the sword and extinguish the arrows, you know, the flaming arrows of the evil one, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. These, it, we have been given armor against the enemy as well. And these are our defense against his, him and his demons. So we're now getting to the end. Sorry, I'm running over a little bit. What does this mean for us? 
Whose side are we on? Are we on God's side or are we on the enemy's side? We assume, of course, as believers that we're on God's. But are we really? If we're just living like everyone else in the world, we are not really on God's side. If we are on God's side, so let's assume we are, then the supernatural power of his Holy Spirit is available to us. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we can do the impossible. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's available to us. Um, And Jesus also said this, Verily, verily, uh, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. This is the naturally supernatural thing, the emphasis of this series. Um, And Jesus also said this, um, they are not of the world. We talk about in the world, but not of the world. That doesn't mean we're not functioning in the world, but we have a different kingdom. We're part of a different kingdom when we believe. And that means we are part of a supernatural kingdom, the kingdom of God. And as we live in it and we function it, we can have access to powers that are just not available to those who only live in the natural realm. If we can get, we just need to get hold of the reality of what it means to become naturally supernatural. Um, We need to break free of the restrictions of our mind that tell us the supernatural doesn't exist or it doesn't matter that tell us that this won't work because we're only human and it didn't work last time. We need to recognize the freedom and the power we have available to us. We need to take that red pill and see the reality of who we are in Christ. However, next slide, there is a few little riders here. Jesus said this, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's quite important, because children come in all ages. This is little children. This is little ones. This is when they still do you what, what they're told. We need to have obedience like little children to God to really see this power in our lives. And we need to have that same unquestioning, undoubting faith in our Father God that little children have. Dad says it, it's true. Mum says it, it's true. That's the sort of level of faith we need. God says it in his word. It's true. Um, next one. So we're revisiting some scriptures now. Just two scriptures we looked at earlier, and I'm going to say, I'm going to read the whole scripture now. James 7. We read this. Submit yourselves to God, then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. We need to be near to God to be able to do that. We need to be completely obedient to God in order to know his power in our lives. The less, the more obedient, and the book seems getting us to read, the more obedient to God, the more we will see his supernatural power in our lives. People who move in this way know that. If they follow God and obedient to what he tells them, then he works. And Philippians 3.10, we read this very early on, right at the beginning. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And what does it say next? And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Are we prepared, am I, sorry, not just we, uh, everyone, uh, me, am I prepared to go through hardship? Am I prepared to get out of my comfort zone? Am I prepared to take risks for God in order to know the power of his resurrection in my life? We went to a church uh, a couple of months ago, where Phil and Michelle Ball live, and they said this, and it's, it was when we were planning this ser- series, and it was so good. It said, the miraculous, the guy, uh, 
I think he was leading the meeting, or maybe the preacher said this, the miraculous and the supernatural is not an optional extra, a take-it-or-leave-it sideshow that is nice but not essential for the real work. We can't function as Christians without the supernatural. If we really want to see the miraculous, then we must be prepared to be put in such a position that we need it. I mean, if I can manage on my, you know, just like everyone else, then why do I need the supernatural? We need to be a position that we need it and that we cannot function or survive without it. We may need even to put ourselves in that position such that we need God to work. Are we willing for that to happen in our own lives and in the lives of those around us and in the life of our church? We've got a few examples. Again, haven't got time to share, but I just know as we start moving in this and, and responding to God, we will see amazing things happen, but we have to be prepared to be vulnerable and test risks and prepare to suffer and go out of our comfort zones. Yes. Are we prepared and wanting to see the supernatural become natural in our daily lives, not just in mountaintop experiences with God at festivals and worship events? Are we want to see it every day? Um, are we willing and prepared to seek the reality and the power of it in the practical, everyday details of life. So I'm, this is, I really am going to finish now. The next slide. Someone once said this. I, know, I don't know who it was. I've got it in a book, and he says, someone said this. I heard someone say this. If the Holy Spirit was taken out of our lives, um, again, taken out of the church tomorrow, 90% of Christians would not notice. Now, that's an interesting point, isn't it? So much of the church in the world is carrying on without really acknowledging the, the supernatural, the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do good works without the Holy Spirit. We can do all sorts of things without the Holy Spirit. Um, but the Holy Spirit enables us to do them so much better and to do things that we could never do on a natural sense. It's true in the lives of many Christians. Um, and this Friday, uh, sorry, just Friday just gone, UCB, which I listen to in the morning, I get, Judith and I get annoyed by the presenters every morning, but this morning, uh, Friday morning, the guy said something really good. Uh, next slide, please. That's a famous picture, isn't it? We should all recognize that one. It's called The Light of the World by Holman Hunt. I think it's in St. Paul's Cathedral. And the verse we always hear quoted with that scripture, because that's what the painting was based on, is, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. Now, we only ever hear, really, that verse quoted. Um, it's even used on the Alpha Course, like uh, two weeks or three weeks ago, um, and the picture is Christ standing outside an overgrown door, and there's no handle on the outside. He was clear to point that out. There's no handle on the outside. The handle is only on the inside. Only on the person on the inside can open that door. And it, it's said that this, he's knocking at the hearts of unbelievers, um, and if they would only open that door, he would come in. But let's read the scripture, the context of that scripture, shall we? You probably can't read that. I'll read it to you. It's in Revelation. It's in a letter to a church. It's not written to unbelievers. It's written to believers, to a church called in Laodicea. And it says this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write this, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true, witness the rule of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold, nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. That's exactly, isn't it? I can manage on my own. I don't need the supernatural. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold from me, refined in the fire, so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. And now here comes the verse we all read. 
Be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It is not written to unbelievers. It's, well, it's, it's written to people who think they're believers. It's written to people who are in a lukewarm church that God is about to spit out of his mouth, or Jesus. And it is potentially written to us. It is, I'm not, you know, each of us need to ask this question. Am I living my life purely in the natural with Jesus on the outside of that door? Or am I living with Jesus on the inside? We, I may say I'm a believer. I may say I know Jesus but have I got him in eating with me? So next, final slide. Is this you? Is this us? Is this me? Jesus says, if it is, if you let him in, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Mm, thank you. <laughs> I just felt that we should pray now. I've said a lot, sorry, I, there was a lot to cover, um, and I've gone, well, a bit over time. just want to pray, um, we probably haven't got time to show in the video, um, but uh, for people who may, this may have touched this morning, and if, if it has touched you, then please seek prayer, come to me, Sim, any of the leaders or the prayer team, um, I want to pray for, for whether you've had in, uh, involvement in the occult, if that's influenced you. Uh, whether you need to ask Jesus in, whether you're believers or whether you're unbelievers and you don't know Jesus, you need to ask him in. And whether you want more of that supernatural reality in your life to be refilled or filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's pray about that. Father, I just pray now that these words I've taken will have helped people, uh, encouraged them, challenged them, Lord. And I just pray now for any person that's been involved with the demonic or the occult and it has influenced them or is now being you know, pestered or handed by the enemy. Help them to know the reality of who they are in Christ and the authority they have over him. I just pray for anybody who doesn't know Jesus or says they know him but do not have him eating with them, dwelling with them, Lord. I just pray for those people that you would touch their hearts and they would open that door and let him in. And for those who say they're Christians and believe they know Jesus but actually he's not dwelling with them in a reality, real way every day, Lord. I just pray for them also. And I just pray for those of us, hopefully all of us, who want to know more of your supernatural reality in our lives. Pray that we be filled again, Lord, and refilled if we've, if we've drained out and got empty with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.